You're listening to the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. Hey, Colorado Springs. This is Jenny Bayless, and I am here to present the Spring 2023 Southern Colorado Real Estate Investing Guide. So what this is, is I just put together you know, a small presentation to kind of talk about how to invest in this market and just what is kind of changing some of the things that we're changing, um, seeing changing in regards to what our clients are doing, um, lending environment, because there's a lot of lending changes coming out as well, um, not just interest rate, it, it extends beyond that. And then also, I wanted to take a step back and because we get a lot of questions about real estate investing terminology and concepts. And I wanted to actually take a step back and kind of go over that before we dive into uh, you know, the details of Colorado Springs and Pueblo specifics. So um, I wanted to separate this presentation into kind of three bite-sized parts because it can be a little bit overwhelming. So the first um, part, which is Today's part is um, just real estate investment concepts refresher. We're going to go over that and just kind of refresh our knowledge as to what certain terms and and everything means. Um, The second one is going to be on financing methods. Again, going over different types of loans that investors can utilize and some of the changing, um, you know, uh, changing rules uh, in in the lending market. And we're going to have a lender on to to help um, with that. And then the third is going to be strategies that Envision clients are using and going into some of the specific strategies that very recent um, closed purchases um, are using um, just to give everybody kind of a sample as to what's going on in the market. So the first one, um, I want to get into, like I mentioned, concepts. Um, And I think that it's really important to understand real estate investment lingo because we really need to kind of sometimes take a step back and go back to the basics. Um, you know, we were kind of on on overdrive the last couple of years, but it's really important that you understand kind of the the costs uh, associated with your property that aren't as obvious as you know principal interest. Well, principal is not a cost. Interest, taxes, insurance. Um, you know, there there are other costs that that you need to be um, you know, mindful of. And then also just some other concepts that you might hear us talk about quite a bit. I think that it's always important to just kind of refresh everyone on that. So the first one um, is the term CapEx, which is short for capital expenditures. And those are costs incurred through property ownership for major repairs and replacements of deteriorate deteriorated or or broken components over time. So a good example of that is the roof, the furnace, windows. Um, If you have air conditioning, um, you know, we always recommend that investors place a portion of monthly cash flow aside to save up for these events. So, you know, you're not going to have to replace your roof every year. Um, you're not going to have to replace your furnace every year, but when you do, and you know, who who knows how long it could be two years, five years, 10 years, I I don't know. That's going to be a huge expense that comes up. And, you know, I always say Murphy's law says 
your roof and your furnace will go out in the same year. You'll have multiple properties that all the furnaces die in the same year. Um, so I think that it's just really important to be mindful of that your cash flow is is not just your rent minus your mortgage payment and escrow. Um, you're going to have these expenses pop up and you don't know when, but you want to be able to um, have properly saved for them. So, you know, we recommend you you just take a, a portion of your monthly cash flow and put it in a savings account or, you know, some sort of liquid account that you're able to access for when that happens. Um, vacancy. So this is um, really basically just an opportunity cost. So when your your property is vacant, no one is paying you rent. Um, so you need to account for that as an expense. So, you know, it's kind of uh, the lack of income, um, but it's an opportunity expense. So, um, you know, the estimated yearly costs of the property not being rented, we always just do as a percentage of gross rent. Um, you know, investors, you need to put a portion of that also in your savings account, same as your your CapEx um, to save up for these events. So, you know, just generally speaking, if you anticipate that your your property will um, turn over every single year, meaning one tenant leaves, the next tenant comes in, you have to account for turnover costs in addition to turnover time. So, you know, maybe you might need to replace the flooring or or repaint it or or do something, do little fix-ups to get it rent ready for that next tenant to make it look nice for that, you know, new ten- tenant to, to move in. Um, so if you were to assume that that happened every single year um, and it would take one month uh, of, you know, between being able to fix it up and getting a qualified tenant in your property... One month out of the year is approximately about 8%. So you would just set aside 8% of gross rent as a vacancy um, placeholder, if that makes sense. Um, And then the next concept I want to talk about is the net operating income, also known as NOI, which is the sum of the property's total revenue minus all the expenses. So, you know, including the expenses that we we talked about, um, if you incurred them, of course. Uh, so, you know, vacancy would just be a lower rent revenue and then CapEx would, you know, that would that would be an actual, actual expense. Um, and then not including debt service. So once you subtract out your debt service, you're going to get your cash flow calculation. So that's very important to know because, um, you know, when, uh, when calculating a, a different concept, which we'll go into next, um, does not use debt service as part of the calculation, which is interesting. I think that is, I think the reason behind that is to be able to compare apples to apples since the debt feature on, on you know, on real estate can be so um, different between people. So, you know, one, one investor might put 25% down um, and at a, you know, 7% rate, someone else might be able to put 6% down or 5% down at a 6% rate, that's going to really change your your debt profile on that asset. So it's able to kind of compare apples to apples that way, Um, which then feeds into the concept of cap rate. So cap rate is your net operating income or your NOI divided by your purchase price. And so that's the way to determine the rate of return on real estate, assuming that the investor did not leverage. So again, it's you're able to compare properties apples to apples, or at least, you know, 
more more closely since since properties are so unique anyways but you know you're able to see hey this property uh is looking like an eight cap versus this property is looking like a five cap well why is that is their poor performance involved is the you know purchase price too high um you know just kind of uh understanding it that way especially if you know the properties are right next to each other that's a really good way to to compare um you know compare purchases and everything 1031 exchange so this is a way to defer the recognition of capital gains um so it's under section 1031 of the tax code. So you can defer your capital gains um, and related federal income tax liability on the exchange of certain types of property. I am not going to go into the details of how to properly complete a 1031 exchange. Um, Definitely reach out to us. I know um, Chris had done um, a mini series on on this concept um, a couple years ago. So it's definitely one that you'll want to check out. But just know that the 1031 exchange is um, you know, a type of strategy that you can use to, uh, you typically hear people saying trading up. So, you know, they, they own an asset for several years. It's um, gained through, uh, you know, appreciation. And then they want to sell that property and trade up to, say, they trade a, a single family for a fourplex. Um, that way, they're able to defer the capital gains from the single family sale, roll it into their fourplex and so on and so forth. You know, the the concept is to just keep keep doing that infinitely. Um, but again, we, we won't get into the details on that. And then the last one, or second to last one, is BRRRR, which stands for Buy, Renovate, Rent, Refinance, Repeat. I think that this is a very, very popular method um, that investors aim to minimize their cash in a property um, through a combination of forced appreciation, like through rehab, um, and then creative financing methods. The, the, the main goal of Burr is to be able to force enough equity that when you go to refinance it, you're able to have created uh, you know, the minimum amount of equity through your forced depreciation, your rehab, that when you go to refinance it, you're able to leave you know, the created equity in the property from the requirements of the lender and then pull out your initial cash investment. Um, and then you're able to recycle that property. So it's a it's a way to minimize your down payment. Um, and I know that it's a very, very popular method. It's it's um, you know, I I like it. It's just very, very hard to do in this environment because you're um you're juggling, well, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole here, but <laughs> my soapbox is that it's it's a little bit difficult to to do this in this environment because you have to keep in mind that you have to have a good guess as to what your refinance is going to look like, which means the after repair value of that asset that you bought. What is that repair value going to be? Well, in today's market in spring of 2023, values are decreasing a little bit. So you have to account for it that way. Interest rates are going up and down, up and down. I have no idea what they're going to be by the time you're done renovating your property and what they're, you know, um, when you're ready to refinance it. So it's just, you know, something that you want to keep in mind that that, um, you know, a goalpost at the end of your renovation is a little bit foggy. And and that makes it very difficult to 
to do this type of strategy. So that was a little bit of a tangent, but just wanted to to put that into context as to um, the market today. And then cash on cash return. This is also something we hear a lot of investors say, I want X cash on cash return. Um, usually people come and say they want 10% cash on cash return. Um, that isn't really likely in, in, in Colorado Springs and Pueblo at this time. Um, so we want to be kind of upfront with, with people, you know, just to put perspective uh, on the market and, and what's attainable down here. And, you know, there may be other markets that, that you can, um, check out probably out of state that may, that may give you that 10% cash on cash return. But I think that it's important to understand why, why do you want that 10% cash on cash return? So, um, what is that? So basically what, how that return is calculated is it's the ratio of pre-tax annual cash flow divided by the total amount you invested, which typically consists of your down payment, your closing costs, and your rent-ready costs. So people want to get a 10% return on those components. Um, but I, I personally, when I first started investing, I will admit I was a 10% cash on cash return um, person as well. <laughs> and maybe at that time that was more realistic. Um, you know, just cause I started investing in, you know, 2016 or so. Um, but as, as, uh, I've evolved my strategy a little bit, I, I, I don't focus on that at all. Um, and that's just because that's what, you know, they, they say the powers that be, um, <laughs> say that you should get. So, uh, I, I definitely want to go into, why cash on cash return should not be the only metric that you focus on as well. So those are some of the the lingo that I think all real estate investors should be cognizant of um, and, and be able to uh, really understand the concepts behind. So going into the last uh, the last point that I made on cash on cash return, there are four returns in real estate investing. So real estate investing is very much unlike other investments because it actually has four ways to earn a return or four components of your total return is another way to think of it. So the first being appreciation and appreciation. Oh, I'll, I'll actually go into the, the details um, of each of these in, in the next slide. So let me just kind of go through the, the top level view and then we'll dive into each component. So one being appreciation, Two being cash flow, three being debt pay down, and four being tax benefits or depreciation. So I think that these returns are really imperative to understand when you analyze investment purchases. Um, so let's go through, you know, a, a, a more detailed understanding of each component. So appreciation, that is simply how much the, the property value increases over time. Um, and according to Case Schiller, real estate has appreciated at about 3% a year at a national level over a 100 plus year time frame. So that doesn't mean every single year you're guaranteed 3% increase in asset value. Rather, it means on average, you can expect a 3% averaged appreciation rate on your, on your asset. Um, assuming you, well, I guess if you own it for a hundred years, but I think that can be extrapolated, you know, to 30 years or, or 20 years. Um, which means that some years you're going to see really, really good years, like 2020 through, you know, half of last year. 
this year, we might not see any appreciation. We may see negative appreciation, um, meaning asset values declined, um, you know, especially it, it market specific in, in Colorado Springs and Pueblo. Um, we're starting to see that from a year over year standpoint um, from our, our, our monthly, um, you know, sales data. So I think that it's just really important to understand that on average, it's about 3% nationally. Um, and then also something I wanted to point out here is that um, when you leverage a piece of real estate, you own the whole asset, even though you're only putting in, I don't know, 20%. So say you you purchase a home for $100,000 and you assume a 3% increase. So next year it's a hundred is worth $103,000. Well, you get to own that extra $3,000 of appreciation, even though the bank has let you borrow 80% of the assets value through leverage. So that's what I think is the most powerful piece of this is just from that long-term perspective. So you figure, you know, let's, let's, you know, extrapolate that. How does that look like if you buy a million dollars worth of of real estate, that's going to add up quite a bit over you know a few decades. So just keep that in mind. Um, then you, again, you can use that equity to buy additional real estate. Um, so the second component is cash flow, and I think that's what most people think of when they first start investing in real estate. Um, I know that's what I focused on as well until my eyes were kind of open to the other components. So cash flow is simply your rent minus your expenses, minus your mortgage payments. Um, so if you have a property that rents for $1,800 in rent, and then you have $500 in, in expenses, like say uh, you had to fix a toilet and you had to pay for property management. And then you have a $750 mortgage payment. $550 of that is monthly cash flow before taxes. Of course, from that, you also need to budget for contingencies. Um, and again, that's CapEx, maintenance vacancy um, that we already chatted about. So put that, put a portion of that aside into a savings account. So when it happens, you, you have access to it. Um, and, you know, the, the goal is to eventually be able to live off that cash flow. Um, I think that's what most people's real estate goals are, are ultimately. Um, and the third one being debt pay down. So this one is something that I, I personally didn't really consider until, um, you know, fairly recently is that um, when your tenant is paying your rent each month and you're paying your mortgage as a result, the principal reduction is, you know, that's yours. So every time you pay down your mortgage payment, you're paying principal and interest, assuming you, you know, haven't have a regular conventional amortized loan. Um, you don't have an interest-only loan. And so when when that tenant is paying your rent, they're paying a, a portion of, of your equity. So they're they're thinking, or they're actually paying your principal and interest, of course, which is just an expense to the bank for letting you borrow their money. And then the last one is tax benefits and depreciation. Um, and I, I, I know that we've, <laughs> we've gone over this in some other podcasts um, quite a bit. Um, so, you know, we, we don't need to go uh, super in depth for this part, but um, depreciation is an accounting method um, in which to allocate the cost of an asset over a useful life. And the IRS defines, um, you know, just a traditional buy and hold rental property as 27 and a half years 
and then um, 39 years for non-residential real estate, short-term rentals. Um, and then within that, various components have other schedules such as five and 15 years, like think um, refrigerators, those, those are five. 15 is uh, like land improvements, fencing, that sort of thing. Um, and just know that land itself is not depreciable. Um, it's a non-cash or other, other um, you, another term for it is the phantom expense. Um, you may have heard that. So meaning that you can have net cash flow positive properties, but results in a taxable loss thanks to depreciation. So that's a pretty phenomenal um, aspect to real estate as well. So, um, you know, when, when you consider those four returns, I, I cannot think of any other investment vehicle that has the potential to earn a return um, in four different ways. And if anyone out there does know of a, of a way to do that, please let us know because that's very interesting. Um, I would love to hear about it, but that's, I think this is why real estate, in my opinion, is, is such a powerful investment vehicle because of these components. And then lastly, I wanted to talk about some of the assumptions used in Southern Colorado property analysis. And please, please, please do not take this as, you know, uh, written in stone. These are very, very uh, variant, um, so, but they're just rules of thumb. So, you know, analyze a property. If you end up going under contract on that property, then you really need to do a deep dive, um, you know, with... with your insurance agent, um, looking into the taxes, looking into your, your property management company, that sort of thing. Um, and, and really kind of, uh, assess these components yourself. Um, but just, you know, rule of thumb, if, if you're going through and analyzing a property, these are, these are sort of the, you know, general guidelines that I would recommend, um, just for a cursory review. Um, so for vacancy, 5%. You can adjust that based on market trends. I like to do 5%. That, you know, pretty much means that someone's going to turn over once every two years or so. And it's going to take you about a month to, um, you know, clean up the property and get it rented out. I think that's a very fair assumption. And that's also in line with um, some of the reported data that we've been seeing um, in this area. And then property management, uh, I would account for 10%. That's pretty typical what, what we see um, property management firms charge. Um, repairs and reserves. So this is interesting. So sometimes, not always, sometimes the HOA will handle exterior items for, for condos and townhomes. So we kind of assume that if you're paying an HOA fee, that's kind of your your way of paying towards the reserves of the exterior items for condos and townhomes if the HOA covers it. So we're able to reduce, you know, the reserves that you personally need to set aside. Um, we use, usually use about 5%. Um, and that's just based on feedback that we've, that we've gotten. Um, and then, you know, if you have a detached home or a multifamily home, uh, you know, eight to 10%, I think is, is a good, estimate there, um, 10% for sure, if, or, or more, if, if you feel like that's necessary, um, to use if the property's older or has more obvious deferred maintenance items. Um, you know, you're not always going to know 
um, that there is a deferred maintenance item. So like, even if you get a very thorough inspection, your water heater might just kick the bucket one day and, and you, you had no idea it was coming. So, um, you know, just kind of keep that in mind that you cannot possibly plan for everything, um, specifically, but I think planning in general, um, is, is very important. So then insurance, oh my goodness, I have gotten slapped in the face with all of my insurances this year. Um, they are definitely going up. We are seeing all of our clients' insurance costs going up. Um, my understanding is just that, um, I guess like the rebuild cost is pretty significant, um, you know, just because of, we all know the cost of everything is going up. So I think that has a lot to do with it. And I don't really know the specifics necessarily, but I just know that um, your insurance probably will go up. So just be mindful of that. If you are an existing landlord, um, if you're looking to purchase, um, yeah, this guidance is definitely a lot different than um, what we've been saying in, in past years. So um, again, condo, townhomes, common ranges that we see, please check with your insurance agent. Please make sure that you get the appropriate coverage. Like don't cheap out on your on your insurance. That's like the one thing that you should not do. You should always just pay that extra couple hundred bucks, even a thousand bucks is worth the peace of mind. Um, but generally speaking for condos and townhomes, we're, we're seeing about 800 to $1,500 a year. Detached homes, about 1,500 to 2,000 a year. And then multifamily homes, um, this is where I saw the biggest jump. Um, personally, I think I was at like 2,400, um, for one of my fourplexes and now it's at 3,400, I think. Um, so I'm expecting, um, my other fourplex to get smacked, um, the summer when that policy expires. Um, so to renew that is going to be quite a bit. So just keep that in mind that we're seeing about 2000 to 3,500 on, you know, duplexes through fourplexes. So keep that in mind. Um, and then taxes, um, get this figure from, from the MLS or public records, um, make sure it's the most up-to-date assessment. Just remember, at least in Colorado Springs and Pueblo properties get reassessed. Um, usually every two years. So they will go up. Uh, just keep that in mind. But that was basically the the first part of the Southern Colorado um, investment guide that I wanted to go over. And we will have two more modules in, in the near future. Um, again, wanted to keep this bite-sized, but uh, please stay tuned for the, for the next two. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.